0: Last week, we did talk about going after the lost treasure of the disciplines of Christ, learning of Christ, the disciplines of Christ. And you don't often hear of that phrase anymore. And that's why I kind of couched it as a lost treasure. And so we want to go after that treasure. Uh, And there's an important question that needs to be asked concerning the proposition of going after the lost treasure of spiritual the spiritual disciplines of Christ. Why go after the treasure of these lost spiritual disciplines? Why do it in the first place? I want to direct your attention to 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7 and 8. Uh, you can write that down if you want to, but I'll read it here for you. It says this, have nothing to do with Worldly fables fit only for old women. On the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. For bodily discipline is only of a little profit, but godliness is pro- profitable for all things, since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. So the apostle Paul in this section in Timothy is exhorting Timothy to discipline himself toward Godliness, discipline yourself toward godliness, why because it has it has hope there's promise in godly discipline for this life and for the next, and so these principles shouldn 't be uh, looked down upon and maybe cast aside and said, oh well they 're not important, and we don 't need all we need is grace, and all we need is the mercy of god no we we, we need to we need to Discipline ourselves towards godliness, towards godly principles, toward the disciplines of Christ. He says that bodily discipline profits a little. Doesn't say that it doesn't profit anything. Yeah, bodily discipline and going out, CrossFit and all this, it's all, you know, wonderful. It profits a little. But he says godly, godly discipline profits a lot because it's, it, it's got hope for now and on into eternity. So it's, it's important. So, he encourages them in those things. So, as you discipline yourself in godliness, you will become godlier, right? If you discipline your life toward godliness, you will become godlier. You will become more like Christ. We're being conformed into the image of Christ, right? So, we have to remember that as, as, as Christians, as, we, as you become more like Christ, the closer, better, more intimate, and more adventurous relationship you will have with Jesus. So these are, these are important things to remember as we dedicate our lives to the Lord. Now, Jesus himself said this in Matthew chapter 6, verse 21. This is from the Sermon on the Mount. He said this, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So maybe you've never considered the spiritual disciplines, the disciplines of Christ as treasures. And that's why I'm couching it like that, because, I, because Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. And if, and if you have these things as treasures, if these godly disciplines are truly treasures to be sought after, and, and we do treasure them, then our heart will be in them as well. Amen? And so I want you uh, to remember that. Now, there's an important date uh, for, for biblical, it's a kind of a biblical important date. And it's, it's in 1947. There was a shepherd boy out in the desert near Jericho, and he was just watching sh- his sheep, and he was just throwing rocks, right? And he threw a rock into a cave, and he heard pottery uh, just kind of, breaking up right and what he discovered he went into the cave to take a look and he discovered an amazing sight on the floor of the cave were several large clay jars containing leather scrolls wrapped in linen cloth these are the dead sea scrolls they were in that desert climate near Qumran were kept and preserved in such an amazing amazing and incredible way and because of that discovery, we have today the text of scripture that you have in your computer or in your iPad or phone or whatever on, on, online or in printed text is uh, so, um, w- w- in textual criticism, it's, called, it's the most attested ancient document in history. And even according to um, scholars who are not saved, who do not profess Christ or anything, just textual critics, the number is that the text of the New Testament is 99.5% pure. And there's no other document of of ancient literature that even is by percentage even that comes close, okay? The second one that comes anywhere close but doesn't have anywhere near the number of fragments and and copies is is Homer's Iliad. And it's, I believe, in the 92, 93% uh, tile of of accuracy. So there's about 8% of Homer's Iliad that they're not quite sure of. And so that's, that's a large discrepancy there. So, and, then it, and then it goes downhill from there as far as ancient literature. So when you come to the text of Scripture, there's no real disagreement on what the Bible says. Now, whether you accept it as the Word of God, whether you believe it to be the true Word of God, that's another story, but if you ever get into a talk with anybody, you can tell them, we know what the text of Scripture says. We know, that's, that's not up for real debate uh, in any real way. So God has delivered to us, he has preserved perfectly for us, his word. It's been carefully handled, it's been copied, I don't have time to go through the process that the scribes went through in handling the, the scrolls and copying them. But if we ever have time to do that, it's an amazing process that will, it shows you how much care that there was given to each, to each copy, and it's an incredible thing. So it's God's word has been preserved. It's been written down, copied. It's been preserved. Today, you and I have unlimited access to the Word of God. The question is, do we avail ourselves to the Word as we should? We're going to look in tonight's uh, message. Is a person the person of God's Word? I want to take you. And this is the discipline. It's a discipline of being a person of the word of God. And I want to take you to John chapter eight, verse 31. If you've got your text there, it says this. Then Jesus, then said Jesus to those which believed on him. If you continue in my word, then you are my disciples. So, Jesus said, if you continue in my word, you are my disciples. So in other words, Jesus wants the people that come after him, that follow him, they want, he wants them to be people of his word. He wants people to come after him that are going to continue in his word. And those are the people that are going to be his disciples. This is an important spiritual discipline. And I think it's kind of foundational to the whole life of the believer, the whole life of the Christian. It's foundational of being the person of God's word because it's about a person that we have as our savior, Jesus Christ, but he's delivered his word to us in this pure form and he wants us to abide in it. He wants us to live in it. He wants us to continue in it. So... Why why does he want us to continue in it? Well, here's here's the first point tonight. That we've got to live in God's word. And the reason why we've got to live in God's word is because God's word is spiritual food for the believer. God's word is spiritual food for the believer. Just as you're living in the world, you're a person that's living in the world, which means every day you've got to find some type of sustenance to keep going. I mean, you can make it a few days, I don't know what the number is, but you can make it a few days without it, but after a while, your body will just shrivel up and you'll pass away. I mean, I think it's a few days without water and it's, I don't know how many days it is without food, but it's not, it's not a long time and you're gonna dry up and you're gonna cease to exist. That's living in the world. If you're gonna live, if you're gonna be a Christian, if you're gonna be a disciple of Christ, the key is living in God's word Because God's word is spiritual food to the believer. And Jesus said this in Matthew chapter four, verse four. He said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So, you know, we're not, we're not going to live by bread alone. Yes, we're going to physically live by bread, but as spiritual people, we're going to live by the word of God. We're going to live by the words that, that come from the mouth of God. That is our spiritual food, and and we need to realize what it is. It's spiritual food. It's spiritual nourishment to the to the spit to the spirit man, the inner man that's being renewed day by day. That Paul talks about in Corinthians. We have this we have this inner man. We have this spirit man, and that spirit man is in need of spiritual food, and that spiritual food is none other than the Word of God. And so it's very important to be a person. Of God's word. Jesus told the Jews here who had believed in him, If you abide in me, he says, I think I read it in a different translation there. It says, If you continue in me, the word I think in the New King James is abide. Is that correct? Abide in me. If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. The word abide here in verse 31. It is, in the King James, is the word continue. In the original Greek, it is the word meno, and it means to remain in, to abide in, to continue in. When referring to a person, it means to live, to abide in, to live. And so, live in my word. If you live in my word, Then you are my disciples is kind of a way to put that, what Jesus said, so that we can understand it here in 2018. If you live in my word, if you're a person of the word, if you live in my word, then you are my disciples. Now, later in this gospel, John, we're in John 8 tonight. In John chapter 15, Jesus is going to meet with the disciples and he's going to tell them this, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Now abide in me. Because the branch can't separate itself from the vine and say, well, I'm just out here. Doing my thing. I'm just a branch, you know, and <laughs> I'm just going, I'm just doing my thing. No. I'm the vine, you're the branches, abide in me. And and we've got to do that. We've got to abide in him. He has a word that he's given to us, but he's also the word, right? Because John's gospel, if you go all the way back to the first verse, he says, in the beginning was the word, the logos. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, right? So we've got to continue to live in him and in, his, in in the word that he's delivered to us, the word that he is speaking to us, the word that has come forth from his mouth. The Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews would actually say that God has been speaking. And in, in these past days, he has spoken in his son, right? So literally the son coming into the world was kind of like the voice of God speaking to the people of the world. So the word. If you abide in my word, then you are my disciples indeed. And so we're to live in him. We're to live in his word, to continue in it. But to continue in the word, we've got to have commitment. If you're going to continue in anything, you've got to have a commitment to it, right? And we must have a commitment, a dedication, a focus. I want to tell you a story and, and, and you, music, you music lovers will love this. This is a story about Luciana, Luciano Pavarotti, okay? He said this, when I was a boy, my father, a baker, introduced me to the, the wonders of song. He urged me to work, every, work very hard to develop my voice. Arrigo Polo, a professional tenor in my hometown of Medino, Medina, Italy, took me as a pupil. I also enrolled in a teacher's college. On graduating, I asked my father, shall I teach or be a singer? Luciano, my my father, replied, if you try to sit on two chairs, you will fall between them. For life, you must choose one chair. I chose one. It took seven years of study and frustration before I made my first professional appearance It took another seven years to reach the Metropolitan Opera. And now I think whether it's laying bricks, writing a book, whatever we choose, we should give ourselves to it. Commitment, that's the key. Choose one chair. So I think if we're going to take that advice, the chair that we need to choose as the Lord's is being a person of the Word of God. That's the chair. We got to see this as a, a total life commitment that you see yourself as a person of the word of God, a person of the book. Jesus says, if you abide in his word and you are his disciples, the word disciple means disciplined one. Who are Jesus' disciples? You know, Jesus, Jesus said, come and follow me. He was inviting people to be disciples. Amen. He was was saying, come follow me. He was a rabbi. He was a teacher. And he was inviting people to follow him and be his disciples. And what you would do is you would commit yourself to learning of the teacher that you were following, the rabbi. And so if we're his disciples, if we're the discipled ones, we're the ones that are the disciplined ones, then then we're going to be a person of the word of God. Amen? So... Here's the question. Let's say you decided tonight, okay, I'm going to be a person of the Word of God. I'm going to make that decision. What do we do? How do you go about doing that? I'm glad you asked. First, you must hear the Word. If you're going to be a person of the Word, you must hear the Word. Luke, uh, let's go to Romans. Romans chapter 10, verse 17. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. One of the English Puritans, Jeremiah Burroughs, wrote in 1648 the following words of counsel regarding preparation for the discipline of hearing God's word. First, when you come to hear the word, if you would sanctify God's name, you must possess your souls with what it is that you are going to hear. That is, what what you are going to hear is the word of God. Therefore you find that the, the apostle writing to the Thessalonians gives them the reason why the word did so much good as it did in them it was because they did hear it as the word of God when Paul preached the word they received it as it was i'll actually read the verse for you it's 1 Thessalonians 2:13 I actually refer to this verse often. You'll hear me actually praying part of this verse because I want the word of God, to be effectual in my life, and I want it to be effectual in your life. And how it's going to first become effectual is if we hear it and receive it for what it is in truth, the word of God. This is what Paul said to the Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians 2.13, for this reason we also thank God without ceasing because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effect effectively works in you who believe. And so where does the, when you hear the word, where does it stack up in terms of what what you're comprehending, what you're thinking that you're hearing? And, And we need to receive it as the word of God. One method of living in God's word is hearing it, is hearing it. Now, so you've got to hear it you got to put yourself in a position where you're hearing it. And we have that opportunity. When we come together, we're reading the word, we're reading the words, we're hearing it read, we're hearing it preached, we're hearing it taught. You can literally, on your app, on, I know Bible Gateway has several translations where you can literally just put um, and have the word of God read to you. You say, well, I can't even, I can't even keep my eyes open to, to, to read it. Well, great, put your headphones on, put your earbuds in and go to Bible Gateway and you can literally listen to like some British guy, you know, wonderfully read the word of God to you. And and, and so do it. And there's something that happens. Did you know that you're taking in all kinds of other stuff? You're hearing all kinds of other stuff. You're hearing the news. You're hearing the word that's being given from your friend and from your your mother that's calling or the, the, the person at work or whatever. You're hearing all this. You're hearing all this. And we need to hear the word of God. And that's why it's so great when we as Christians speak the word of God to one another. And when we allow God to use us to speak the word when we're out in the highways and byways, and we don't have to give people chapter and verse, sometimes you can just deliver the word of God to someone and let it be what it is. And, and let it just go out of your mouth and into their ear and down into their spirit. And, and, and it's a powerful thing. And if that's a powerful thing, then it's a powerful thing for us to hear it because what the verse said in Romans is, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And when you hear the word of God, if you are a person of the word, what's gonna happen in your life? Faith is gonna arise, amen? Faith is gonna arise. If you're walking around and, and you're not having a faith-filled day, then hear the word because when you hear the word, I tell you what, when I hear when I hear a word, when I hear a word taught, when I hear somebody bring a word, who wants to get saved? Me, I want to get saved all over again. Faith has arisen in my heart. You don't need to persuade, you don't need to persuade me very much, with you know because it's the word of God, and 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 that's the type of people we need to be. Amen. So we need to hear it. Another another way we live in the word is by reading it. A barn, a study showed that only two out of 10 Christians read the word of God every day. Now, you know, here's the thing. I don't know if these, if these Barna studies are accurate. I don't know if, you know, I, it's funny because I'm up in Titusville a lot delivering mattresses and there's a road up there called Barna, <laughs> you know? And every time I'm on Barna Road, I'm thinking about all the, t- the Barna statistics. But anyways, the bottom line is that we, we, we need to be people who hear the word. We need to be people who read the word. Um, Why? Because we love the word, because we're a person of of God's word. Um, Jesus read the word. Amen? Amen. He grew up reading and studying the scriptures as a faithful Jew would. We know that he read from the the Bible publicly. In Luke chapter 4, you have an account where Jesus read from the scriptures in the synagogue. Luke chapter 4 verse 16 says this, and I love this verse. As his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. Wow, there's so much greatness in that verse. Amen. There's so much greatness in that verse. A, he went to the synagogue as was his custom. He was a person of, of faith and he was a person of, of walking the walk and, 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 and living it out. And, and he went to the synagogue and he stood up to read. And he read, and on that particular occasion, he read. Wow, that was a, that was an awesome. We don't have time to get into that particular chapter, but he he literally read from the scroll of Isaiah, and said, after reading it, today in your hearing, this is fulfilled. And they just all were like, ah. And the Jews wanted to uh, kill him. They literally wanted to. to cast him down. Nazareth, in Nazareth, the way it's built, there's a kind of a pinnacle of the city off of a cliff. And when in that passage in Luke four, it says they wanted to cast him off the cliff. When you go to Nazareth and you see that, you're like, oh my goodness, that's where they wanted to throw him down off of the cliff of the city. And, uh, and so Jesus read the word. We need to read the word. We need to be people who read the word. Why? Because it's the counsel of God. It's spiritual food, but it's also the counsel of God. Um, and it's the wisdom of the Lord. People all the time say, I need wisdom, I need wisdom. Well, are you a person of the word? And if you're in the word, you're gonna get the wisdom of the Lord, you're gonna get the counsel of the Lord, you're gonna get the direction of the Lord, you're gonna get the spiritual nourishment that you need in your life. Paul told Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter three, you should know this one. 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17. All scripture is God breathed and is useful for teaching rebuking correcting and training in righteousness so that the man of god may be thoroughly equipped for every good work so that you can be thoroughly equipped for the good works that god has prepared in advance that you should walk in remember in ephesians 2 he says you are god's workmanship for ephesians 2:10 you are god's poema right workmanship and God has prepared good works in advance that you should walk work in them how you're going to be prepared for those good works is that if you allow the scripture, which is God breathed to do the things in your life that God wants to do through his word. He wants to refine you. He wants to correct things that need to be correcting. He needs to set things back from being out of alignment. He wants, you know, one of the words there actually is the idea of, of actually the resetting of a bone. It, it, the, the, the correction is the idea of where if, if you have a broken bone, that bone needs to be reset so that it's right. And that's what the Word of God will do to you. We've got people walking around with broken bones spiritually that need to be reset. And that's going to happen through the, the reading, the hearing, and the reading of God's Word. Let me read that, that couple verses to you in another translation. It says this, All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It straightens us out. And teaches us to do what is right. It is God's way of preparing us in every way. Fully equipped for every good thing God wants us to do. That's the NLT. That's the New Living Translation. And uh, I, I kind of like that. Because it really kind of just spells it out for us. Right? Um, and so we need to be people who, who hear the word. Who read the word. Another way that you can live in the word. This is the third way, is to study the Word. We need to be people who study the Word. Not only do we need to read the Word, to hear it, um, but we need to study it. We need to become students of God's Word. You need to look at your life. You need to consider yourself as a student. This is where you don't hear this, you don't hear this type of stuff anymore in the church that much, as much as you should. Um, we're students. We're We're disciples are you my disciples? If you continue in me, you'll be my disciples, right? That's 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 what Christ is about. I mean, he was focused on having people be his disciples. And being a disciple was kind of being a student, you know? And people are like, no, 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 I don't want to be a student. I'm done with school. <laughs> you know, you're never done with school, right? You may be done with formal education, but life is a education from beginning to end. Amen? And the person that stops learning, I think, stops living. And we need to be people who learn. And all the more, if we're Christians, we need to be students, right? And that's why Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.15, be diligent to present yourself, approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. You know, when you look at what Paul told Timothy in those, in those and I've read some verses from Timothy, um, and you say, well, those are the pastoral epistles. Those are the words, those are Paul's admonitions to Timothy, the pastor. But you know that the pastoral epistles and specifically the letters to Timothy were written in such a way to encourage Timothy, not just as a pastor, but first and foremost as a Christian, as a disciple, because the, the pastor is first a Christian, the pastor is first a disciple and so that admonition to be that student to to be in the word is for us all that we need to be a that we need to be diligent in the word the King James uses the word study um, study for to be diligent we need to be diligent in the word we need to study the word <clears throat> You know, you say, "Well, I don't know where to start to study the Word." We live in such an incredible time. Let me just introduce you to something: Blue Letter Bible. Google it and bookmark it. <laughs> the Blue Letter Bible. It's a free resource uh, that was actually initially put together by Chuck Missler and some others, but it's 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 bigger than that now, and it has. Um, All kinds of Bible study tools, lexicons, uh, commentaries, free commentaries. It's like a little Christian uh, Bible study resource that's just available to you. And it's an incredible resource. And so, you know, Home Depot has tools. And we need tools. And here I just gave you a link to a bunch of tools. (laughs) Free tools for you. To study the word. And there's even audio content on there. If you want to, you know, there's, I think there's like J. Mert, Vernon McGee stuff. There's some there's old stuff. There's new, new stuff. David Gusick's uh, commentary is on there. Chuck Smith's notes are on there from the 2000 series. And it's just, it's an incredible resource. Uh, Ezra 7 verse 10 For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and do it, and to teach statutes and ordinances in Israel. So here this word is telling us that Ezra prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord. Studying the word puts the word deep into our hearts, and it propels us towards obeying and keeping the word. You say, well, I have a hard time kind of doing the word. Well, spend just a little bit more time. When you hear a good word, go back to it and go back and study through it. Look at those words again. Go back to Blue Letter Bible, get out the lexicon, look back at those meanings again. And let it speak to you and let it go deep into your heart and be planted deep in your heart. The fourth way to live in the word is to memorize the word to memorize the word you say we need to memorize the word yeah it's a good idea to memorize the word we need to memorize the word the psalmist king david said this in psalm 119 verse 11 he said this your word have i hidden in my heart that i might not sin against you what's that your word that i have hidden in my heart you know there, there was a lot of people that didn't actually have i mean we're lucky because we actually have a copy of the bible i mean to say we have a copy of the bible is just it's just an understatement i mean we have like you guys hold in your hands like everything right now <laughs> you know a scholar's library really of 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 what you know even a pastor had like a few years ago um 10 years ago 20 years ago or you know whatever before the internet um and there was a time, you know, in the medieval days, the Dark Ages—I guess they called them—where, you know, the church had put the 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 word and the services into a language that that like not very many people spoke, and they chained the Bible to the podium. In other words, it was a way that they kept the word from the people. Yeah. And you know, the, it was that where they where they kind of position themselves to rule over the people. And the the Bible says, the Bible tells us that there's something that the Lord hates. In the book of Revelation, it tells us something. Jesus says specifically it's something that the Lord hates and actually uses that language. I hate this. You want to know what, what Jesus hates? He hates the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. The doctrine of the Nicolaitans. What's that? The Nicolaitans was from two words. Nick, Nico, Nike, 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 to conquer, to victor, victor to conquer, lay, laity. To conquer the people. to Those that would rule over the people. And there was a time in the church where you had the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. The, those that would seek to rule over the people instead of serve the people. Mm-hmm. Instead of saying... Here's the word. How many how many ways can we get this word to you and deliver it to you and so that you can be built up in the word? No. How can we put this into a language that you can't understand and read? How can we keep this from you in every which way? And that's why go go look at what, you know, go look at what Luther, Martin Luther actually did you know, when he stood up and he, they basically brought him up on charges. He says, look, I, you know, this is, I, I stand here and I can do nothing else, you know, and he, and he fought the fight of bringing the word of God into the vernacular of the, of the Germans. And, and of course there were others, Zwingli and Wycliffe and all these guys that, that, um, that did that work of bringing the word of God into the vernacular and you know, Wycliffe is still an organization today, named after Wycliffe, uh, that is, you know, an organization that is working on putting the Word of God into as many translations, as many languages, as possible. Um, and their goal is, over the next few years, in the next decade or so, there. I think I went to a I went to a banquet, a Wycliffe banquet, a few years ago where they're working on putting at least fragment passages into upwards of 2,500 different languages and dialects. And so it's an incredible work that they're doing, which is really the opposite of the work of the Nicolaitans for all those years that the church did that. Um, but the Lord hates that. So not only was the word kept from people, but the opposite was the reality of what the people needed access to the word so that they could literally hide it in their hearts so that they could say like David, your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sit against you. So we've got to memorize the word. We've got to know the word. We've got to have the word here. My my wife is, uh, um, there are some points that are her favorite points and her favorite points. And as I hear hear her articulate her favorite points, they they, uh, echo in my mind as well because I've heard her on these points as well. One of her favorite points is allowing the, that the word comes to our rescue. You will hear her say this. The word, when we hide it in our hearts, it comes to our rescue, and we see this in the life of Christ. And that We're not pointing out anything other than what, how the Lord lived, right? The other, the other examples are just examples for us, right? But Jesus is the primary example, and so here's an example from the life of Christ, from the temptation, The account of the temptation is found in Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11, and Jesus handles the temptation with the scripture that he had memorized, right? He he told Satan, it is written. He handled each one of the temptations by saying, by responding all three times with this, it is written, and then directly quoting a verse to the devil, (laughs) you know? And, And so talk about the word coming to our rescue. This is what Jesus showed us how to do it. He proceeded to quote from the law of God, from the Torah. But it wasn't just in his heart, in his mind. It was in his heart. Amen? It was in his heart. And that's why David, all those years later, uh, from when the law was written, he says, your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. So we've got to hide it in our hearts. And if we hide it in our hearts, here's what's going to happen if you hide God's word in your heart. Because God's word is living and active sharper than any two-edged sword, okay? There's a a dynamic to the word of God that is not, this isn't in any other book. This is a different type of thing altogether, okay? (laughs) The word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, and if we hide God's word in our hearts, here's what's gonna happen to us. It's going to begin to burn in our heart like a fire, as you read the word, as you hear the word, as you study the word, and as you memorize the word, what's gonna happen is it's gonna begin to burn like a fire. Why? Because it's been put into your heart. And when it burns like a fire, it's going to do things in your life, amen? And the, 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 our God is a consuming fire, amen? Our God is a consuming fire, and when you put his word, his, 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 the essence of who he is in you, by virtue of the spirit, the, the word is spirit-breathed, right? Living and active, it's going to burn. And this is one of my favorite scriptures that I'm going to bring up right now. Jeremiah 20, verse 9. This is like one of my life verses, amen? I want this on my tombstone, probably. Then I said, I will not make mention of him, nor speak any more in his name, But his word was in my heart like a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I was weary of holding it back, and I could not. Mm. Have you put his word in your heart? Have you put it in your heart? You say, I've never experienced anything like that. We'll, We'll try this then. Put God's word in your heart and see what happens because it will burn like a burning fire. The fifth way to live in the word is to meditate on the word. How are we doing on time? We're, almost, oh, we're, we're out of time. <laughs> well, let me just finish up this point here. The fifth, this is the last point. The fifth way to live in the word. I've given you five ways. I asked the question, how do you live in, how do you become a person of the word? How do you live in the word? How do you abide in the word? And therefore you will be my disciples indeed. I've given you five ways. This is the fifth one. The fifth way is meditating on the word. When some believers think of meditation, they think of a Eastern religion. They say, oh, well, we're not supposed to meditate. I've already addressed this because Isaac was meditating when Rebecca showed up, Right. So I, I, I just touched on this, uh, this idea. And they think, oh, well, we don't meditate and whatever. Yeah, we, we do meditate. We meditate on him. We meditate on his word. We med- meditate on good, the good things of, of the Lord. Amen? Meditation is a huge part of the Bible. In fact, we are, we are told, if not commanded, to meditate. We were told to meditate on the Lord. We're, we're told to meditate on his word. The Lord told Joshua this, and this is another one of my favorite verses. <laughs> this is a night of favorite verses, amen? Joshua 1, verse 8. Everybody knows Joshua 1, verse 9, right? You know, I will be with you. I will never leave you or forsake you and all that good stuff. That's great. The, the verse right before that equally is great. In fact, it's a verse in the Bible that actually promises success to you. It promises success. This is what God told Joshua. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will have, then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have Good success. You will meditate it. He says, do not let it depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night. And I talked about this, the idea of meditation was this idea of chewing the cud. The cow would chew the grass, it would go down into one of its stomachs, it would come back up, it would chew it for a while, go back into another stomach, come back up. And then after a while, it's like, there's no longer this grass, it's like this cud, they keep on swallowing it and bringing it back up and chewing it. This is the idea, he says, don't let this word depart from your mouth. In other words, what's in your mouth? What is it that you're saying? What, it, what is it that you're re- repeating? What it is, is it that's coming out of your mind? Is it every negative thing that's happening in the news? Is it everything that every commentator is, is is spitting out? Or is it the word of God? Is it the good things of God? Is it the things that we need to be reminded of in the Lord? And we wonder why we are so downcast sometimes in our soul. Put your hope in God and put the word of God in your mouth. Amen? And and let that begin to be something that is a part of your daily routine so that, and he says, for then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. What kind of prosperity and what kind of success? The kind that God wants you to have. Amen? The kind that God wants you to have. And that could be, many different ways. You know, he could want you to have material success, but it's going to come first and foremost. If you'll be that person that meditates in the word day and night. Amen. Good stuff. Good stuff. Where, where am I going to pull, put a, put a bow on this. I gotta, I gotta just finish up the last point. Amen. You said, Oh, that was the last point. No, that was the last point of the first point. (laughs) Okay. There's one more point and it's, okay, live in God's word. And the second point, main point, is live free. Go back to the text, John 8. Verse 32. You know this one, right? And you shall know the truth and the truth Shall set you free. Now, people quote this, they sing songs like this, blah, 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 blah. This is the context that you've got tonight of what Jesus is saying. If you continue in my word, then you will be my disciples indeed, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So if you become a person of God's word and you live and abide in God's word and you do those five things that God says that we just went through in his word that are the living and abiding in the word of God, then you're gonna be a free person. You're gonna live in the freedom of Christ. You are gonna know the truth and the truth is gonna set you free. You're gonna be free to love the Lord, to live for the Lord, to to love your neighbor as yourself. You're gonna be free in Christ. Truth in the Bible is more than just a fact that is true; it carries with it the connotation of something that is ultimately real. You will know reality. Wow, this is heavy duty, and we need this. And I and I got to wrap this up, right? We're living in a time when, and I I, I actually read an article on this. Just just, stay, are you still with me? Okay. We are living in a time when we all have, each one of us, we have a device. We have a device that, that has different medias. You say, well, I don't have any medias. You have social media. That social media and the other media is, is presenting to you a reality. The, the media that you allow to come into your physical senses is presenting a version of reality to you, okay? Yeah. What this is saying is you will know reality. You will know truth, and the truth will set you free. So we, what, what happens is, is people direct their media intake to what they like, to what soothes their, 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 their pleasures, their consciousness, their waking hours, and it creates a reality that they are wanting to live in and to create for themselves. And this is not what the Lord has called us to live in. He's saying, I want you to live in me, abide in my word, and you will know reality and the truth, the reality will make you free, truly free. Now, that is some heavy-duty, powerful stuff that this generation that we live in needs to hear. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Amen? Be a person of God's word. That's the first foundational discipline of the disciple of Jesus Christ, being a person of the word.